All right, so today we're going back to Psalm 119, and we finally have made it to the 10th section of this incredible chapter. Today, what we're going to find about this section is that it's almost the time to catch our breath. I kind of feel as I've read through this and I've studied it that David is driving and driving and driving and it's intense and it's, it's to the point and it's in your face and now all of a sudden he kind of steps back as if to say, oh, I just need to breathe for a second. And in the process of this slowdown, in the process of gathering his breath and collecting his thoughts, he says, now... I want to give some acknowledgments. Now you know what that is. When someone wins an award on TV, what do they do? They go to the stage and they acknowledge those who've been a big part. I want to thank so-and-so because I couldn't have done this without them. And I want to thank so-and-so. Well, it's almost as if David is doing that here. He's pausing to catch his breath and he's saying, You know what? I really need to let you know where all of this has developed. I really need to let you know where all of this is originating. And of course, the obvious answer, and this is a conversation between him and God in prayer, but there are others who are going to read it. He's telling us that God is that person. But there are three ways that he now describes this input and this process in which God has worked in his life. And I want to give those to you this morning. Number one, your first fill-in, is that he gives us an acknowledgement of God's work in his life. He gives us an acknowledgement of God's work in his life. If you have finished writing that in, take a look at verse 73. He says, Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Now this to me is a really cool setup because he's saying, Okay, I want you to know I'm acknowledging the fact that God has created me. I am not the product of some random explosion that happened to bring me here millions of years later. I am not the product of some chance happening. I am a product of God's work because God has created me. How important that is. How important it is for us to understand that in a society that wants to distance us from God. Because if they can distance us from God, and if they can say that this is, we're all just here by chance, it was a mass explosion that brought us here, then all of a sudden they do not have to recognize the God who has created us. They do not have to recognize a God that has made us in His likeness and in His image, and a God that is holy and righteous to whom we must give an account. And so therefore, there's no obligation, there's no responsibility, I can do what I want to. But if on the other hand, I come to an understanding that I am created in the image of a holy God, that it is God who has fashioned me and made me to be exactly what He wants me to be, then all of a sudden there's a responsibility that I carry. And when we know that we've been created for a particular purpose, and that purpose is to glorify God, then we can't distance or separate ourselves from that responsibility because it is He who has created us, and therefore we must respond as He requires. And so David says, you have, you have done this work. I acknowledge your work in creation. But then he said, I also acknowledge your work in your word. Now think about that with me, because 
He said, your word is what has grown me, is what's matured me, but I'm not ready to stop. I need you to continue the process. Just as you've made me whole bodily, just as you've created me bodily, now I want you to complete the cycle, I want you to complete the process by also making me whole spiritually. I want you to grow me and develop me and equip me so that I am ready to do what you've created me to do. So that I can fully embrace the responsibility that you've given me to glorify your name. David said, I want to acknowledge God's work in my life. But then number two, he said, I also, in your second fill-in, I also want to give an acknowledgement of God's faithfulness in my life. I want to give an acknowledgement of God's faithfulness to me. God has been so good, and this was so very vital for the psalmist. I mean, he needed this. He needed to see the faithfulness of God. He needed to be able to look back over his life and see how time and time again, God had been faithful. God had not forsaken him. And so he tells us in verses 74 and 75, Those who fear you will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. So he says in verse 74, Those who fear you will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in your word. I have hoped in your word because I knew that you were faithful. I've hoped in your word because I knew that, that you would be good to your promises. I hoped in your word because I knew that you would stand by what you told me. I hoped in your word because I knew I could depend on you. In a time when David had very few people on which he could depend, he knew he could depend on God. And he hoped in the word of God. And so he says, because I've hoped in you and because you have responded as we knew you would in faithfulness, others will look at my situation. They will look at the problems I've encountered. They will look at the struggles I've had. They will look at my time near death. And they will see that it wasn't by my strength and my might and my power that I've overcome. But they'll see that it's because of your Incredible faithfulness to me. They will get to see the faithfulness of Almighty God. Now this in itself is pretty amazing. But when they looked at David's life, they got to see something that was even more amazing. I mean, they got to see the entire spectrum of, of, of things going on. As I said, the good, the bad, the ugly. They got to see him at the point of death. Because of his own making, his own sin, his own rebellion against God had carried him down a very dangerous road that led him to the point of death. Face down in the dirt, ready to die. And the faithfulness of God brought life to him again. And it was in the process that they looked at this. And those who, who feared God would look at it and be encouraged. They would be strengthened because they had seen the faithfulness of God. But those who did not know God, they would look at this situation. And they would hear him say what he says at the end of verse 75. In faithfulness you have afflicted me. And they would say, are you crazy? David what would cause you to say something so completely absurd as that? You're saying that God afflicted you because he was faithful. Now, 
I'm having trouble wrapping my head around this. You're saying that God showed faithfulness by bringing problems and devastation upon you. Is that what you're saying, David? I mean, how crazy. Who would even think something totally absurd like that? And yet what seems absurd to some can be so real to others. Because David, looking at the situation, looking over his past, seeing how God had worked through his devastation in such a powerful way. I mean, because you remember what was going on. David had rebelled against God. David had drifted away from the Lord to the point that that God was... Disciplining, disciplining him, bringing these times of difficulty upon him, this affliction upon him. And why was God doing that? Just to get even? No. God had brought the affliction. God had brought the problems because he was so faithful to his servant, David. He was so faithful to say, I know what's best for you, David. And where you are, isn't it? I know what's best for you and where you're heading is going to lead you to the other way. I know what's best for you and where you are is going to take you straight to death and destruction. It's going to destroy your family. It's going to destroy your relationships. And David, I'm not willing to let you go there without a fight. And therefore, I'm going to bring these afflictions on you so that you will want to return. You remember what we studied last time in Psalm 119? How David said, it was good for me that I have been afflicted. I went astray before, but now I understand what that leads to. I don't want it anymore. All I want to do is follow closely to you. Wow. Is it true that God's faithfulness was seen in his affliction of David? And the answer is absolutely yes. You know what? I'm afraid sometimes we see affliction, we see problems, we see difficulties as just a a crazy act of life. When all the time what we could be seeing is beyond that to understand, no, this is the faithfulness of God. I may not like it. I may not enjoy it. I may not want to repeat it. But what I know for sure is that God is trustworthy in everything that he does. And so even in this time of devastation, I can see the faithfulness of God. Friday evening when the storms rode through, and those were incredible storms. They not only rode through the area, but they also rode through the church. Literally rode through the church. Where we're building our building out here, there was some mix-up in the roofing system. And as a result, water poured into the church. And the back hallways, the ceilings caved in, the floors were flooded. Uh, Gary Dillo came over to check on things and to get the air going on Saturday and called me and he said, hey, we've got some real problems here. Sure enough, had some real problems. And you know what? From a pastor's perspective, I guarantee you, you can go to any of our pastors and they'll tell you the same thing. This is not the way we would have planned this weekend. 
I guarantee you there's a lot of different things we might have included in this weekend that aren't here if we had been the ones calling the shots. And that ain't it. That ain't it. You may be able to step in the back hallway and take a deep breath and say, oh yeah, there's been water damage here. Because it stinks. That wouldn't have been my idea for a good Sunday morning. But you know what I know for certain? Is that God is trustworthy. And that God is working in this situation. I don't understand it. I don't really like it. But I know that God is up to something. Maybe it's a means of protection for us that I don't see yet. Maybe it's a means of, 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 of growing us and developing us and preparing us for something else. Maybe it's a way to provide for us that we just don't understand. But what we know for certain is that God is trustworthy. God is faithful. David had seen the faithfulness of God. And I want you to know that we're going to be looking in this situation for God's faithfulness as well. We're going to be looking to see how God responds. What God brings out of this. Because with David, we've seen it enough to be able to acknowledge God's faithfulness. Well, there's one more thing that I would like for you to write down, and then I'm going to give you some additional thoughts to put under it. But number three, David also says, I want you to see that I'm acknowledging God's sovereignty. He gave us an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. Now, what does the word sovereignty mean? If you would, write this in. Maybe there's a place in your notes for it. And just write this definition. Sovereignty means ultimate control over everything. Ultimate control over everything. Now, here's the deal. As, as one of the pastors of this church, God leads us and directs us and... And he allows us to make decisions on behalf of our church family. And while sometimes that can go to a person's head, sometimes people can get all puffed up over things like that, the reality is that God has the override ability anytime he wants it. God can step in, he can allow my plans to go badly so that I come to the place to where I say, you know what, I didn't. I didn't depend on God enough in that. Or I didn't pray about that. I didn't search it out the way I need to. Or he may just be saying, hey, I just want you to try something different. There's nothing wrong with failure if we've done due diligence going into it. But the point of this is that, you know what? God is ultimately in control. When it came to back here, the, the storm coming through, ultimately... God said, that's what's best for this church, and God did it. Overrode my plans, overrode my desires. He's God, he gets that right. But David is showing us that God has ultimate control over everything. Everything. And he begins to lay out for us five of those areas. Now, I'm not sure if you've got a place to write this note in, or if you just want to jot these thoughts down. I'm not sure exactly how your notes look this morning. I didn't look at them. But let me give these to you. A through E. Letter A. David first of all shows us God's control over his comfort. 
God's control over His comfort. Now that sounds a little bit absurd, and yet the reality is God controls these areas. Notice what He said in verse 76. He says, let I pray your merciful kindness be for my comfort according to your word to your servant. Let I pray your merciful kindness be for my comfort. In other words, God, this is your area of control. This is your area of responsibility. So what I'm asking you is as I look back over my life and as I see your faithfulness to me, I'm asking you, God, to, to bring these thoughts out. The enemy would try to squelch them. The people who are around me who don't follow closely to you would say, Oh, it just happened. It's just coincidence. It, you were just... You were just one of the lucky ones who came back from death and near-death experience. You're just one of the lucky ones. It's no big deal. And yet David would say, no, God, let that be for my comfort. Just as the other people around him who feared God would look at his situation and be encouraged, now David is saying, God, I want the same thing. You control this. Keep bringing these thoughts to mind. Keep bringing to my understanding your faithfulness and your goodness. Let that comfort me. In such a special way. And then letter B. He said I also want you to see God's control over my life in general. Yeah here's where he just expresses it. He tells us in verse 77. Let your tender mercies come to me. That I may live. Let your tender mercies. In other words David is saying yeah I was at the the gates of death. I was ready to die. I was ready to to go into eternity. And yet you revived me. I'm not revived because I am a powerful leader. I'm not revived because I have control over my life. I'm not revived because I'm a strong person. I know that the only reason I have life is because you have given it to me. Your tender mercies have extended life to me. When I should have died. And so he says, I know that in the future, this is still under your control. I know in the future that I can't get prideful about this. I can't get boastful saying, well, look at all I've done to make my life better. Because I know ultimately, God, you're the one that controls that. The third thing, let her see. He says, I also see that God has control over those who would do evil against me. God has control over those who would do evil against me. What an interesting thought. That God even controls our enemies. Can you imagine if we really bought into that, if we really believed that? All of a sudden, those who are attacking, those who are slandering, those who are trying to do us harm are not really a problem for us anymore because they're in God's control. David prays and he says in verse 78, Let the proud be ashamed, for they treated me wrongfully and with falsehood, but I will meditate on your precepts. In other words, God, let them be put to shame. You do what you do in bringing about the truth in this situation. They've slandered me. They've harmed me. We'll see more about that in point D. Uh, They've hurt me to a degree, and yet God... My problem is not to be concerned about that. That's your situation. That's under your control. And therefore, I'm asking you to deal with that. And I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. And what is it? 
I'm going to, as he said at the end of the verse, meditate on your word. So my responsibility is to engage your word. And we've talked about that. The reason this passage is so important is because it ties in with the entire chapter and the theme that it's all about the Bible. It's all about God's Word. It's all about investing time in Scripture. It's all about putting a priority on what God is telling us through His Word. And David says, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, and so God, I'm just going to leave them up to you. It's not my responsibility. Do you know how much bickering and gossip would be cut out if we believed that? How much infighting, how much division would be removed from the church, would be removed from our families, would be removed from our workplaces, our schools, our communities, if we really believed that that's God's responsibility. And yet the problem is that I'm so prideful, and I'm not talking to you right now, I know it probably fits a lot of us, but really this is just for me. I'm so prideful that I have to, I have to say something back. I can't just let you get away with running over me. And yet if I really believe that it's not really my responsibility, that this responsibility belongs to God, then I would just let that go. And I would let God deal with it. That doesn't mean that we don't confront. doesn't mean that we don't speak truth. But it does mean that I no longer go to Tim talk about Michael. Not that I've ever done that. He's bigger than me. And so he says, God has control over my enemies, but number D, letter D, he said, God also has control over my friends. Oh, wow. Now this is important to David. Listen to what he says in verse 79. He said, let those who fear you turn to me, those who know your testimonies. Let those who fear you turn to me, those who know your testimonies. In my mind, in thinking through this, it, it seems that those who despised David to such a high degree had been so critical of him, that they had been so devious and deceptive in what they had told people, that even those who were people of faith, those who feared God, had begun to look at him with a suspicious eye. Is any of that really true? Let me tell you something. We encounter this in Christian life today. Someone lies about somebody. We don't really believe it, but we don't really know if it's true or not. And so we're just not willing to take a chance. Now, there are times when I think that's justified. If someone's accused of something with a child, you know, while I may not believe that could happen, I'm not going to take my grandchild there just in case. And that's one reason we put so many protective measures in the church, cameras and, and policies in place where we don't have adults one-on-one -on -one with the child. We want to protect not only the child, but we want to protect the leader as well. David had gotten to this place in life where he said that even these who fear you, God, won't come around me because the wicked have done so much damage in what they've said, this, this bickering and this gossip and this slandering, that I don't have any friends. And so, God, 
You're the one who controls this. Would you show them the truth and let them turn back to me? Do you let them come back? Would you let them be encouraged when they see your hand upon me? When they see you still at work in my life? When they see your tender mercies extended to me? Would you let them actually see that? That you're still at work in my life? And would you allow them to come back and give me that friendship that I so desperately need? Well, he gives us one more thing. Letter E. He says, you also have control over my standing with you. Now, by standing, I mean my, my rightness, uh, my purity. Now, let me read to you a couple of verses. I want to read the verse that applies in verse 80, but then also a couple of, of passages that I think support this. Verse 80, he said, let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes that I may not be ashamed. He's praying, God, this is what I desire. I want my heart to be blameless regarding your word. I want you to so teach me, to so grow me, that when I talk about your word, it's, it's not something that brings shame later on. I can remember so specifically speaking here early on in my ministry, about 20 years ago now, and I preached and spoke on a, a particular passage of Scripture that just flat made sense to me. And it was about a year and a half later when I realized that that's not what that means. It doesn't mean that at all. I was completely taking the Scripture out of context. Now, there's a, there was application for what I said, but it wasn't what God intended. This, this week... Van, this past week, Van Ferguson, uh, our young adult pastor, posted uh, on Facebook this, this thought. And I'm not sure if it's original or if he borrowed it from someone. But I'm not going to be word for word, but it was something to the effect. When we read the scripture, we ought not to be concerned about what we think it means. But we ought to be really concerned with what God meant it to say. It's true, right? I mean, I can, I can read a passage of Scripture and think, well, this is what it means to me. And I know we say that a lot, but ultimately, that's, that's the furthest thing from mattering. What's really important is what it means to God. What did God mean that passage to say? That's the reason my responsibility in reading the Scripture as an individual is that I get the context of the passage. I read what's before and I read what's after. And I compare it to other Scriptures. So that I won't take one verse or one part of a verse out of context and say, well, this is what God must have meant by this because this is what it's telling me. No. We ought to have the same desire to be blameless before God regarding His Word. Same desire that David had. And what that means for us is that we're not lazy in reading Scripture. It means that we're not lackadaisical in our Bible study time. But that we so deeply engage the Word of God as if it matters. 
Because I guarantee you it does. Matters. We talked about the importance of God's Word in our lives. May we make the Word of God a priority. So what do we do with this information? Three things that I wrote down that all begin with we have to acknowledge God. We have to acknowledge God. We have to have an acknowledgement, first of all, of God's work in our lives. There's something about acknowledging God's work in my life that, that brings me to a place where I yield myself to Him. If I believe that God's at work in my life, then, then certainly I want to yield myself to Him so that He continues that process, so that He does what He wants to do, so that my life glorifies Him the way I've been created to. And so I want to acknowledge His work in my life. The second thing is that I want to acknowledge God's faithfulness to me. Because when I do, it shows me that I must live a life of gratitude before Him. I've got to be grateful because He's the one who provides. He's the one who protects. He's the one who sustains. He's the one who puts air in my lungs, who puts a beat in my heart. He's the one that gives me the ability to walk, gives me the ability to talk, to hear, to smell, to see. This is all a gift of God, the tender mercies of God. Therefore, I have no right to claim that I've done any of it. Which means that I'm to humble myself before Him. There's one more thing. And that is that I need to acknowledge God's control over me. And here, when I acknowledge God's control over my life, I'm going to humble myself before Him. I'm going to live in thankfulness to Him. Because this is a work of God. May this be our response.